this is Jade Austin of Jaded YA Reads, a YA read aloud podcast brought to your listening ears by the Wells Public Library. On our last episode, we read chapters 11 and 12 of the fantasy classic Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones. We followed Howl, Sophie, and Michael as they traveled to Howell's and our own world. We met Howell's family, as well as a strange teacher named Miss Angorian. Our characters continued on to visit Howell's old tutor, Mrs. Pentstemon, and she and Sophie discussed Howell's path, as well as Sophie's own magic. Today, we will read chapters 13 and 14 with permission of HarperCollins Publishers. Sophie will attempt to blacken Howell's name to the king, and we shall meet the new royal wizard and an interesting dog besides. Chapter 13, in which Sophie blackens Howell's name. Sophie was feeling decidedly queer again when they reached the palace. Its many golden domes dazzled her. The way to the front entrance was up a huge flight of steps, with a soldier in scarlet standing guard every six steps. The poor boys must have been near fainting in the heat, Sophie thought as she puffed her way dizzily up past them. At the top of the steps were archways, halls, corridors, lobbies, one after another. Sophie lost count of how many. At every archway, a splendidly dressed person wearing white gloves, still somehow white in spite of the heat, inquired their business and then led them on to the next personage in the next archway. Mrs. Pendragon to see the king, the voice of each echoed down the halls. About halfway, Howell was politely detached and told to wait. Michael and Sophie went on being handed from person to person. They were taken upstairs, after which the splendid persons were dressed in blue instead of red and handed on again until they came to an anteroom paneled in a hundred different colored woods. There, Michael was peeled off and made to wait too. Sophie, who by this time was not at all sure whether she was not having some strange dream, was ushered through huge double doors, and this time the echoing voice said, Your Majesty, here is Mrs. Pendragon to see you. 
and there was the king, not on a throne, but sitting in a rather square chair with only a little gold leaf on it, near the middle of a large room, and dressed much more modestly than the persons who waited on him. He was quite alone, like an ordinary person. True, he sat with one leg thrust out in a kingly sort of manner, and he was handsome in a plump, slightly vague way. But to Sophie, he seemed quite youthful and just a touch too proud of being a king. She felt he ought, with that face, to have been more unsure of himself. He said, Well, what does Wizard Howell's mother want to see me about? And Sophie was suddenly overwhelmed by the fact that she was standing, talking to the king. It was, she thought dizzily, as if the man sitting there and the huge, important thing which was the kingship were two separate things that just happened to occupy the same chair. And she found she had forgotten every word of the careful, delicate things Howell had told her to say. But she had to say something. He sent me to tell you he's not going to look for your brother, she said. Your Majesty. She stared at the king. The king stared back. It was a disaster. Are you sure? asked the king. The wizard seemed quite willing when I talked to him. The one thing Sophie had left in her head was that she was here to blacken Howell's name. So she said, He lied about that. He didn't want to annoy you. He's a slitherer outer, if you know what I mean, your majesty. And he hopes to slither out of finding my brother Justin, said the king. I see. Won't you sit down, since I see you are not young, and tell me the wizard's reasons? There was another plain chair rather a long way from the king. Sophie creaked herself down into it and sat with her hands propped on her stick like Mrs. Pentstemon, hoping that would make her feel better. But her mind was simply a roaring white blank of stage fright. All she could think of to say was, only a coward would send his old mother along to plead for him. You can see what he's like just from that, your majesty. It is an unusual step, the king said gravely, but I told him that I'd make it worth his while if he agreed. Oh, he doesn't care about money, Sophie said, but he's scared stiff of the Witch of the Waste, you see. She put a curse on him, and it's just caught up with him. Then he has every reason to be scared, the king said with a slight shiver. But tell me more, please, about the wizard. 
More about Howell? Sophie thought desperately. I have to blacken his name. Her mind was such a blank that for a second it actually seemed to her that Howell had no faults at all. How stupid. Well, he's fickle, careless, selfish, and hysterical, she said. Half the time, I think he doesn't care what happens to anyone, as long as he's all right. But then I find out how awfully kind he's been to someone. Then I think he's kind just when it suits him. Only then I find out he undercharges poor people. I don't know, Your Majesty. He's a mess. My impression, said the king, was that Howell is an unprincipled, slippery rogue with a glib tongue and a clever mind. Would you agree? How well you put it, Sophie said heartily. But you left out how vain he is, and... She looked suspiciously at the king across the yards of carpet. He seemed so surprisingly ready to help her blacken Howell's name. The king was smiling. It was the slightly uncertain smile that went with the person he was, rather than the king he ought to be. Thank you, Mrs. Pendragon, he said. Your outspokenness has taken a weight off my mind. The wizard agreed to look for my brother so readily that I thought I had picked the wrong man after all. I feared he was someone who was either unable to resist showing off or would do anything for money. But you have shown me he is just the man I need. Oh, confound it, Sophie cried out. He sent me to tell you he wasn't. And so you did. The king hitched his chair an inch toward Sophie's. Let me be equally outspoken now, he said. Mrs. Pendragon, I need my brother back badly. It is not just that I am fond of him and regret the quarrel we had. It is not even that certain people are whispering that I did away with him myself which anyone who knows us both knows to be perfect nonsense. No, Mrs. Pendragon. The fact is, my brother Justin is a brilliant general, and, with High Norland and Strangia about to declare war on us, I can't do without him. The witch has threatened me too, you know. Now that all reports agree that Justin did indeed go into the waste, I am certain that the witch meant me to be without him when I needed him most. I think she took Wizard Suleiman as bait to fetch Justin. And it follows that I need a fairly clever and unscrupulous wizard to get him back. Howell will just run away, Sophie warned the king. No, said the king. I don't think he will. The fact that he sent you tells me that. He did it to show me he was too much of a coward 
to care what I thought of him. Isn't that right, Mrs. Pendragon? Sophie nodded. She wished she could have remembered all Howell's delicate remarks. The king would have understood them, even if she did not. Not the act of a vain man, the king said. But no one would do that except as a last resort, which shows me that Wizard Howell will do what I want if I make it clear to him that his last resort has failed. I think you may be, uh, taking delicate hints that aren't there, your majesty, Sophie said. I think not. The king smiled. His slightly vague features had all firmed up. He was sure he was right. Tell Wizard Howell, Mrs. Pendragon, that I am appointing him royal wizard as from now, with our royal command to find Prince Justin, alive or dead, before the year is out. You have our leave to go now. He held out his hand to Sophie, just like Mrs. Pentstemon, but a little less royally. Sophie levered herself up, wondering if she was meant to kiss this hand or not. But since she felt more like raising her stick and beating the king over the head with it, she shook the king's hand and gave a creaking little curtsy. It seemed to be the right thing to do. The king gave her a friendly smile as she hobbled away to the double doors. Oh, curses, she muttered to herself. It was not only exactly what Howell did not want. Howell would now move the castle a thousand miles away. Letty, Martha, and Michael would all be miserable, and no doubt there would be torrents of green slime into the bargain as well. It comes of being the eldest, she muttered while she was shoving the heavy doors open. You just can't win. And here was another thing which had gone wrong. In her annoyance and disappointment, Sophie had somehow come out through the wrong set of double doors. This anteroom had mirrors all round it. In them, she could see her own little bent, hobbling shape in its fine gray dress, a great many people in blue court dress, others in suits as fine as Howell's, but no Michael. Michael, of course, was hanging about in the anteroom paneled in a hundred kinds of wood. Oh, drat, said Sophie. One of the courtiers hastened up to her and bowed. Madam Sorceress, can I be of assistance? He was an undersized young man, rather red-eyed. Sophie stared at him. Oh, goodness gracious, she said. So the spell worked. It did indeed, said the small courtier, a little ruefully. 
I disarmed him while he was sneezing, and he is now suing me. But the important thing, his face spread into a happy smile, is that my dear Jane has come back to me. Now, what can I do for you? I feel responsible for your happiness. I'm not sure that it mightn't be the other way around, Sophie said. Are you by any chance the Count of Cataract? At your service, said the small courtier, bowing. Jane Ferrier must be a good foot taller than he is, Sophie thought. It is all definitely my fault. Yes, you can help me, she said, and explained about Michael. The Count of Cataract assured her that Michael would be fetched and brought down to the entrance hall to meet her. It was no trouble at all. He took Sophie to a gloved attendant himself and handed her over with much bowing and smiling. Sophie was handed to another attendant, then another, just as before, and eventually hobbled her way down the stairs guarded by the soldiers. Michael was not there, nor was Howell, but that was small relief to Sophie. She thought she might have guessed it would be like this. The Count of Cataract was obviously a person who never got a thing right, and she was another herself. It was probably lucky she had even found the way out. By now, she was so tired and hot and dejected that she decided not to wait for Michael. She wanted to sit down in the fireside chair and tell Calcifer the mess she had made out of things. She hobbled down the grand staircase. She hobbled down a grand avenue. She stumped along another, where spires and towers and gilded roofs circled around in giddy profusion and she realized it was worse than she had thought. She was lost. She had absolutely no idea how to find the disguised stable where the castle entrance was. She turned up another handsome thoroughfare at random, but she did not recognize that either. By now, she did not even know the way back to the palace. She tried asking people she met, most of them seemed as hot and tired as she was. Wizard Pendragon, they said. Who is he? Sophie hobbled on hopelessly. She was near giving up and sitting on the next doorstep for the night when she passed the end of the narrow street where Mrs. Pentstemon's house was. Ah! She thought, I can go and ask the footman. He and Howell were so friendly that he must know where Howell lives. So she turned down the street. The Witch of the Waste was coming up it toward her. How Sophie recognized the witch would be hard to say. Her face was different. Her hair 
instead of being orderly chestnut curls, was a rippling mass of red hanging almost to her waist, and she was dressed in floating flutters of auburn and pale yellow. Very cool and lovely she looked. Sophie knew her at once. She almost stopped, but not quite. There's no reason she should remember me, Sophie thought. I must be just one of hundreds of people she's enchanted. And Sophie stumped boldly on, thumping her stick on the cobbles and reminding herself, in case of trouble, that Mrs. Pentstemon had said that same stick had become a powerful object. That was another mistake. The witch came floating up the little street, smiling, twirling her parasol, followed by two sulky-looking page boys in orange velvet. When she came level with Sophie, she stopped, and tawny perfume filled Sophie's nose. Why, it's Miss Hatter, the witch said, laughing. I never forget a face, particularly if I've made it myself. What are you doing here, dressed up all so fine? If you're thinking of calling on that Mrs. Pentstemon, you can save yourself the trouble. The old biddy's dead. Dead? said Sophie. She had a silly impulse to add, but she was alive an hour ago. And she stopped herself, because death is like that. People are alive until they die. Yes, dead, said the witch. She refused to tell me where someone was that I want to find. She said, over my dead body. So I took her at her word. She's looking for Howell, Sophie thought. Now what do I do? If she had not been so very hot and tired, Sophie would have been almost too scared to think. For a witch who could kill Mrs. Pentstemon would have no trouble with Sophie, stick or no stick. And if she suspected for a moment that Sophie knew where Howell was, that could be the end of Sophie. Perhaps it was just as well Sophie could not remember where the castle entrance was. I don't know who this person is that you've killed, she said, but that makes you a wicked murderess. But the witch did seem to suspect anyway. She said, But I thought you said you were going to call on Mrs. Pentstemon. No, said Sophie. It was you said that. I don't have to know her to call you wicked for killing her. Then where were you going? said the witch. Sophie was tempted to tell the witch to mind her own business. But that was asking for trouble. So she said the only other thing she could think of. 
I'm going to see the king, she said. The witch laughed disbelievingly. But will the king see you? Yes, of course, Sophie declared, trembling with terror and anger. I made an appointment. I'm going to petition him for better conditions for hatters. I keep going, you see, even after what you did to me. Then you're going in the wrong direction, said the witch. The palace is behind you. Oh, is it? said Sophie. She did not have to pretend to be surprised. Then I must have got turned around. I've been a little vague about directions ever since you made me like this. The witch laughed heartily and did not believe a word of it. Then come with me, she said. I'll show you the way to the palace. There seemed nothing Sophie could do but turn round and stump beside the witch, with the two page boys trudging sullenly behind them both. Anger and hopelessness settled over Sophie. She looked at the witch floating gracefully beside her and remembered Mrs. Pentstemon had said the witch was an old woman, really. It's not fair, Sophie thought but there was nothing she could do about it. Why did you make me like this? She demanded as they went up a grand thoroughfare with a fountain at the top of it. You were preventing me getting some information I needed, the witch said. I got it in the end, of course. Sophie was quite mystified by this. She was wondering whether it would do any good to say there must be some mistake when the witch added, though I dare say you had no idea you were, and laughed as if that was the funniest part of it. Have you heard of a land called Wales? she asked. No, said Sophie. Is it under the sea? The witch found this funnier than ever. Not at the moment, she said. It's where Wizard Howell comes from. You know Wizard Howell, don't you? Only by hearsay, Sophie lied. He eats girls. He's as wicked as you. But she felt rather cold. It did not seem to be due to the fountain they were passing at that moment. Beyond the fountain, Across a pink marble plaza were the stone stairs with the palace at the top. There you are. There's the palace, said the witch. Are you sure you can manage all those stairs? None the better for you, said Sophie. Make me young again and I'll run up them, even in this heat. That wouldn't be half so funny, said the witch. Up you go. 
and if you do persuade the king to see you, remind him that his grandfather sent me to the waste, and I bear him a grudge for that. Sophie looked hopelessly up the long flight of stairs. At least there was nobody but soldiers on them. With the luck she was having today, it would not have surprised her to find Michael and Howell on their way down. Since the witch was obviously going to stand there and make sure she went up, Sophie had no choice but to climb them. Up she hobbled, past the sweating soldiers, all the way to the palace entrance again, hating the witch more with every step. She turned round, panting, at the top. The witch was still there, a floating russet shape at the foot, with two small orange figures beside her, waiting to see her thrown out of the palace. Drat her, said Sophie. She hobbled over to the guards at the archway. Her bad luck still held. There was no sign of Michael or Howell in the reaches beyond. She was forced to say to the guards, There was something I forgot to tell the king. They remembered her. They let her inside to be received by a personage in white gloves. And before Sophie had collected her wits, the palish machinery was in motion again, and she was being handed from person to person, just like the first time, until she arrived at the same double doors and the same person in blue was announcing, Mrs. Pendragon, to see you again, your majesty. It was like a bad dream, Sophie thought as she went into the same large room. She seemed to have no choice but to blacken Howell's name again. The trouble was, what with all that had happened, and stage fright again into the bargain, her mind was blanker than ever. The king, this time, was standing at a large desk in one corner, rather anxiously moving flags about on a map. He looked up and said pleasantly, they tell me there was something you forgot to say. Yes, said Sophie. Howell says he'll only look for Prince Justin if you promise him your daughter's hand in marriage. What put that into my head, she thought. He'll have us both executed. The king gave her a concerned look. Mrs. Pendragon, you must know that's quite out of the question, he said. I can see you must be very worried about your son to suggest it, but you can't keep him tied to your apron strings forever, you know, and my mind is made up. Please come and sit in this chair. You seem tired. Sophie tottered to the low chair the king pointed to and sank into it wondering when the guards would arrive to arrest her. The king looked vaguely around. My daughter was here just now, he said. To Sophie's considerable surprise, 
He bent down and looked under the desk. Valeria, he called. Valley, come on out. This way, there's a good girl. There was a shuffling noise. After a second, Princess Valeria shunted herself out from under the desk in a sitting position, grinning benignly. She had four teeth. But she was not old enough to have grown a proper head of hair. All she had was a ring of wispy whiteness above her ears. When she saw Sophie, she grinned wider and reached out with the hand she had just been sucking and took hold of Sophie's dress. Sophie's dress responded with a spreading wet stain as the princess hauled herself to her feet on it. Staring up into Sophie's face, Valeria addressed a friendly remark to her in what was clearly a private foreign language. Oh, said Sophie, feeling an awful fool. I understand how a parent feels, Mrs. Pendragon, said the king. Chapter 14 In Which a Royal Wizard Catches a Cold Sophie rode back to the castle's Kingsbury entrance in one of the king's coaches, drawn by four horses. On it also were a coachman, a groom, and a footman. A sergeant and six royal troopers went with it to guard it. The reason was Princess Valeria. She had climbed into Sophie's lap. As the coach clattered the short way downhill, Sophie's dress was still covered with the wet marks of Valeria's royal approval. Sophie smiled a little. She thought Martha might have a point after all, wanting children, although ten Valerias struck her as a bit much. As Valeria had scrambled over her, Sophie remembered hearing that the witch had threatened Valeria in some way, and she found herself saying to Valeria, the witch shan't hurt you. I won't let her. The king had not said anything about that. But he had ordered out a royal coach for Sophie. The equipage drew to a very noisy halt outside the disguised stable. Michael shot out of the door and got in the way of the footman who was helping Sophie down. Where did you get to? he said. I've been so worried, and Howell's terribly upset. I'm sure he is, Sophie said apprehensively. Because Mrs. Pentstemon's dead, said Michael. Howell came to the door, too. He looked pale and depressed. He was holding a scroll with red and blue royal seals dangling off it, which Sophie eyed guiltily. Howell gave the sergeant a gold piece and did not say a word until the coach and the troopers had gone clattering away. Then he said, I make that four horses and ten men 
just to get rid of one old woman. What did you do to the king? Sophie followed Howell and Michael indoors, expecting to find the room covered with green slime. But it was not, and there was Calcifer flaring up the chimney, grinning his purple grin. Sophie sank into the chair. I think the king got sick of me turning up and blackening your name. I went twice, she said. Everything went wrong. And I met the witch on her way from killing Mrs. Pentstemon. What a day! While Sophie described some of what had happened, Howell leaned on the mantelpiece, dangling the scroll as if he was thinking of feeding it to Calcifer. Behold the new royal wizard, he said. My name is very black. Then he began to laugh, much to the surprise of Sophie and Michael. And what did she do to the Count of Cataract? He laughed. I should never have let her near the king. I did blacken your name, Sophie protested. I know, it was my miscalculation. Howell said. Now, how am I going to go to poor Mrs. Bentstemon's funeral without the witch knowing? Any ideas, Calcifer? It was clear that Howell was far more upset about Mrs. Bentstemon than anything else. Michael was the one who worried about the witch. He confessed next morning that he had had nightmares all night. He had dreamed she came through all the castle entrances at once. Where's Howell? he asked anxiously. Howell had gone out very early, leaving the bathroom full of the usual scented steam. He had not taken his guitar, and the doorknob was turned to green down. Even Calcifer knew no more than that. Don't open the door to anyone, Calcifer said. The witch knows about all the entrances except the Port Haven one. This so alarmed Michael that he fetched some planks from the yard and wedged them crosswise over the door. Then he got to work at last on the spell they had got back from Miss Angorian. Half an hour later, the doorknob turned sharply to black down. The door began to bounce about. Michael clutched at Sophie. Don't be afraid, he said shakily. I'll keep you safe. The door bounced powerfully for a while. Then it stopped. Michael had just let go of Sophie in great relief when there came a violent explosion. The planks clattered to the floor. Calcifer plunged to the bottom of the grate and Michael plunged into the broom cupboard. Leaving Sophie standing there as the door burst open and Howell stormed in. 
This is a bit much, Sophie, he said. I do live here. He was soaking wet. The gray and scarlet suit was black and brown. His sleeves and the ends of his hair were dripping. Sophie looked at the doorknob, still turned to black down. Miss Angorian, she thought, and he went to see her in that charmed suit. Where have you been? she said. Howell sneezed. Standing in the rain, none of your business, he said hoarsely. What were those planks in aid of? I did them, Michael said, edging out of the broom cupboard. The witch? You must think I don't know my own business, Howell said irritably. I have so many misdirection spells out that most people wouldn't find us at all. I give even the witch three days. Calcifer, I need a hot drink. Calcifer had been climbing up among his logs, but as Howell went over to the fireplace, he plunged down again. Don't come near me like that. You're wet, he hissed. Sophie, Howell said pleadingly. Sophie folded her arms pitilessly. What about Letty? She said. I'm soaked through, said Howell. I should have a hot drink. And I said, what about Letty Hatter? Sophie said. Bother you then, said Howell. He shook himself. The water fell off him in a neat ring on the floor. Howell stepped out of it with his hair gleaming dry and his suit gray and scarlet and not even damp and went to fetch the saucepan. The world is full of hard-hearted women, Michael, he said. I can name three without stopping to think. One of them being Miss Angorian, asked Sophie. Howell did not answer. He ignored Sophie grandly for the rest of the morning while he discussed moving the castle with Michael and Calcifer. Howell really was going to run away, just as she had warned the king he would, Sophie thought as she sat and sewed more triangles of blue and silver suit together. She knew she must get Howell out of that gray and scarlet suit as soon as possible. I don't think we need to move the Port Haven entrance, Howell said. He conjured himself a handkerchief out of the air and blew his nose with a hoot which made Calcifer flicker uneasily. But I want the moving castle well away from anywhere it's been before, and the Kingsbury entrance shut down. Someone knocked on the door then. Sophie noticed that Howell jumped and looked round as nervously as Michael. 
Neither of them answered the door. Coward, Sophie thought scornfully. She wondered why she had gone to all that trouble for Howell yesterday. I must have been mad, she muttered to the blue and silver suit. What about the black down entrance? Michael asked when the person knocking seemed to have gone away. That stays, Howell said, and conjured himself another handkerchief with a final sort of flick. It would, Sophie thought. Miss Angorian is outside it. Poor Letty. By the middle of the morning, Howell was conjuring handkerchiefs in twos and threes. They were floppy squares of paper, really, Sophie saw. He kept sneezing. His voice grew hoarser. He was conjuring handkerchiefs by the half dozen soon. Ashes from the used ones were piled all round Calcifer. Oh, why is it that whenever I go to Wales, I always come back with a cold? Howell croaked and conjured himself a whole wad of tissues. Sophie snorted. Did you say something? Howell croaked. No, but I was thinking that people who run away from everything deserve every cold they get, Sophie said. People who are appointed to do something by the king and go courting in the rain instead have only themselves to blame. You don't know everything I do, Mrs. Moralizer, Howell said. Want me to write out a list before I go out another time? I have looked for Prince Justin. Courting isn't the only thing I do when I go out. When have you looked? asked Sophie. Oh, how your ears flap and your long nose twitches, Howell croaked. I looked when he first disappeared, of course. I was curious to know what Prince Justin was doing up this way when everyone knew Suleiman had gone to the waste. I think someone must have sold him a dud finding spell because he went right over into the folding valley and bought another from Mrs. Fairfax. And that fetched him back this way, fairly naturally, where he stopped at the castle, and Michael sold him another finding spell, and a disguise spell. Michael's hand went over his mouth. Was that man in the green uniform Prince Justin? Yes, but I didn't mention the matter before said Howell, because the king might have thought you should have had the sense to sell him another dud. I had a conscience about it. Conscience. Notice that word, Mrs. Longnose. I had a conscience. Howell conjured another wad of handkerchiefs 
and glowered at Sophie over them, out of eyes that were now red-rimmed and watery. Then he stood up. I feel ill, he announced. I'm going to bed where I may die. He tottered piteously to the stairs. Bury me beside Mrs. Pentstemon, he croaked as he went up them to bed. Sophie applied herself to her sewing harder than ever. Here was her chance to get the gray and scarlet suit off Howell before it did more damage to Miss Angorian's heart. Unless, of course, Howell went to bed in his clothes, which she did not put past him. So Howell must have been looking for Prince Justin when he went to Upper Folding and met Letty. Poor Letty, Sophie thought, putting brisk, tiny stitches round her 57th blue triangle. Only another 40 or so to go. Howell's voice was presently heard, shouting weakly, Help me, someone. I'm dying from neglect up here. Sophie snorted. Michael left off working on his new spell and ran up and down stairs. Things became very restless. In the time it took Sophie to sew ten more blue triangles, Michael ran upstairs with lemon and honey, with a particular book, with cough mixture, with a spoon to take the cough mixture with, and then with nose drops, throat pasties, gargle, pen, paper, and three more books, and an infusion of willow bark. People kept knocking at the door, too, making Sophie jump and Calcifer flicker uneasily. When no one opened the door, some of the people went on hammering for five minutes or so, rightly thinking they were being ignored. By this time, Sophie was becoming worried about the blue and silver suit. It was getting smaller and smaller. One cannot sew in the number of triangles without taking up quite a lot of cloth in the seams. Michael, she said when Michael came rushing downstairs again because Howell fancied a bacon sandwich for lunch. Michael, is there a way of making small clothes larger? Oh, yes, said Michael. That's just what my new spell is. When I get a chance to work on it, he wants six slices of bacon in the sandwich. Could you ask Calcifer? Sophie and Calcifer exchanged speaking looks. I don't think he's dying, Calcifer said. I'll give you the rinds to eat if you bend your head down, Sophie said, laying down her sewing. It was easier to bribe Calcifer than bully him. They had bacon sandwiches for lunch, but Michael had to rush upstairs in the middle of eating his. 
He came down with the news that Howell wanted him to go into market chipping now to get some things he needed for moving the castle. But the witch, is it safe? Sophie asked. Michael licked bacon grease off his fingers and dived into the broom cupboard. He came out with one of the dusty velvet cloaks slung round his shoulders. At last, the person who came out wearing the cloak was a burly man with a red beard. This person licked his fingers and said with Michael's voice, Hal thinks I'll be safe enough like this. It's misdirection, as well as disguise. I wonder if Letty will know me. The burly man opened the door green down and jumped out onto the slowly moving hills. Peace descended. Calcifer settled and chinked. Howell had evidently realized that Sophie was not going to run about after him. There was silence upstairs. Sophie got up and cautiously hobbled to the broom cupboard. This was her chance to go and see Letty. Letty must be very miserable by now. Sophie was fairly sure Howell had not been near her since that day in the orchard. It might just do some good if Sophie were to tell her that her feelings were caused by a charmed suit. Anyway, she owed it to Letty to tell her. The seven-league boots were not in the cupboard. Sophie could not believe it at first. She turned everything out, and there was nothing there but ordinary buckets, brooms, and the other velvet cloak. Drat the man! Sophie exclaimed. Howell had obviously made sure she would not follow him anywhere again. She was putting everything back into the cupboard when someone knocked at the door. Sophie, as usual, jumped and hoped they would go away. But this person seemed more determined than most. Whoever it was went on knocking, or perhaps hurling him or herself at the door, for the sound was more a steady whomp, whomp, whomp than proper knocking. After five minutes, they were still doing it. Sophie looked at the uneasy green flickers, which were all she could see of Calcifer. Is it the witch? No, said Calcifer muffled among his logs. It's the castle door. Someone must be running alongside us. We're going quite fast. Is it the scarecrow? Sophie asked, and her chest gave a tremor at the mere idea. It's flesh and blood, Calcifer said. His blue face climbed up into the chimney, looking puzzled. I'm not sure what it is, except that it wants to come in badly. 
I don't think it means any harm. Since the wump wump just kept on, giving Sophie an irritable feeling of urgency, she decided to open the door and put a stop to it. Besides, she was curious about what it was. She still had the second velvet cloak in her hand from turning out the broom cupboard, so she threw it round her shoulders as she went to the door. Calcifer stared. Then, for the first time since she had known him, he bent his head down voluntarily. Great crackles of laughter came from under the curly green flames. Wondering what the cloak had turned her into, Sophie opened the door. A huge, spindly greyhound leaped off the hillside between the grinding black blocks of the castle and landed in the middle of the room. Sophie dropped the cloak and backed away hurriedly. She had always been nervous of dogs, and greyhounds are not reassuring to look at. This one put itself between her and the door and stared at her. Sophie looked longingly at the wheeling rocks and heather outside and wondered whether it would do any good to yell for Howl. The dog bent its already bent back and somehow hoisted itself onto its lean hind legs. That made it almost as tall as Sophie. It held its front legs stiffly out and heaved upward again. Then, as Sophie had her mouth open to yell to Howl, the creature put out what was obviously an enormous effort and surged upward into the shape of a man in a crumpled brown suit. He had gingerish hair and a pale, unhappy face. Came from upper folding, panted this dog man. Love, Letty. Letty sent me, Letty crying and very unhappy, sent me to you, told me to stay. He began to double up and shrink before he had finished speaking. He gave a dog howl of despair and annoyance. Don't tell, wizard, he whined and dwindled away inside reddish curly hair into a dog again. A different dog. This time he seemed to be a red setter. The red setter waved its fringed tail and stared earnestly at Sophie from melting, miserable eyes. Oh dear, said Sophie as she shut the door. You do have troubles, my friend. You were that collie dog, weren't you? Now I see what Mrs. Fairfax was talking about. That witch wants slaying. She really does. But why has Letty sent you here? If you don't want me to tell Wizard Howell. The dog growled faintly at the name, but it also wagged its tail 
and stared appealingly. All right, I won't tell him, Sophie promised. The dog seemed reassured. He trotted to the hearth, where he gave Calcifer a somewhat wary look and lay down beside the fender in a skinny red bundle. Calcifer, what do you think? Sophie said. This dog is a bespelled human, Calcifer said unnecessarily. I know, but can you take the spell off him? Sophie asked. She supposed Letty must have heard, like so many people, that Howell had a witch working for him now. And it seemed rather important to turn the dog into a man again and send him back to upper folding before Howell got out of bed and found him there. No, I'd need to be linked with Howell for that, Calcifer said. Then I'll try it myself, Sophie said. Poor Letty. Breaking her heart for Howell and her only other lover, a dog most of the time. Sophie laid her hand on the dog's soft, rounded head. Turn back into the man you should be, she said. She said it quite often, but its only effect seemed to be to send the dog deeply to sleep. It snored and twitched against Sophie's legs. Meanwhile, a certain amount of moaning and groaning was coming from upstairs. Sophie kept muttering to the dog and ignored it. A loud, hollow coughing followed, dying away into more moaning. Sophie ignored that, too. Crashing sneezes followed the coughing, each one rattling the window and all the doors. Sophie found those harder to ignore, but she managed. went a blown nose, like a bassoon in a tunnel. The coughing started again, mingled with moans. Sneezes mixed with the moans and the coughs, and the sounds rose to a crescendo in which Howell seemed to be managing to cough, groan, blow his nose, sneeze, and wail gently, all at the same time. The doors rattled, the beams in the ceiling shook, and one of Calcifer's logs rolled right off the hearth. All right, all right, I get the message, Sophie said, dumping the log back into the grate. It'll be green slime next. Calcifer, make sure that dog stays where it is and she climbed the stairs, muttering loudly. Really, these wizards? You'd think no one had ever had a cold before. Well, what is it? she asked, 
hobbling through the bedroom door onto the filthy carpet. I'm dying of boredom, Howell said pathetically. Or maybe just dying. He was lying propped on dirty gray pillows, looking quite poorly, with what might have been a patchwork coverlet over him, except that it was only all one color with dust. The spiders he seemed to like so much were spinning busily in the canopy above him. Sophie felt his forehead. You do have a bit of a fever, she admitted. I'm delirious, said Howell. Spots are crawling before my eyes. Those are spiders, said Sophie. Why can't you cure yourself with a spell? Because there is no cure for a cold, Howell said dolefully. Things are going round and round in my head. Or maybe my head is going round and round in things. I keep thinking of the terms of the witch's curse. I hadn't realized she could lay me bare like that. It's a bad thing to be laid bare, even though the things that are true so far are all my own doing. I keep waiting for the rest to happen. Sophie thought back to the puzzling verse. What things tell me where all the past years are? said Howell. My own or anyone else's. They're all there, just where they always were. I could go and play bad fairy at my own christening if I wanted. Maybe I did, and that's my trouble. No, there are only three things I'm waiting for. The mermaids, the mandrake root, and the wind to advance an honest mind. And whether I get white hairs, I suppose, only I'm not going to take the spell off to see. There's only about three weeks left for them to come through me. And the witch gets me as soon as they do. But the rugby club reunion is Midsummer Eve, so I shall get to that, at least. The rest all had happened long ago. You mean the falling star? And never being able to find a woman true and fair? Said Sophie. I'm not surprised, the way you go on. Mrs. Pentstemon told me you were going to the bad. She was right, wasn't she? I must go to her funeral, if it kills me, Howell said sadly. Mrs. Pentstemon always thought far too well of me. 
I blinded her with my charm. Water ran out of his eyes. Sophie had no idea if he was really crying or whether it was simply his cold. But she noticed he was slithering out again. I was talking about the way you keep dropping ladies as soon as you've made them love you, she said. Why do you do it? Howell pointed a shaky hand up toward the canopy of his bed. That's why I love spiders. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. I keep trying, he said with great sadness. But I brought it on myself by making a bargain years ago. And I know I shall never be able to love anyone properly now. The water running out of Howell's eyes was definitely tears now. Sophie was concerned. Now, you mustn't cry. There was a pattering outside. Sophie looked round to see the dogman oozing himself past the door in a neat half-circle. She reached out and caught a handful of his red coat, thinking he was certainly coming to bite Howell. But all the dog did was to lean against her legs so that she had to stagger back to the peeling wall. What's this? said Howell. My new dog, Sophie said, hanging on to its curly hair. Now she was against the wall, she could see out of the bedroom window. It ought to have looked out on the yard, but instead it showed a view of a neat, square garden with a child's metal swing in the middle. The setting sun was firing raindrops hanging on the swing to blue and red. As Sophie stood and stared, Howell's niece, Mari, came running across the wet grass. Howell's sister, Megan, followed Mari. She was evidently shouting that Mari should not sit on the wet swing, but no sound seemed to come through. Is that the place called Wales? Sophie asked. Howell laughed and pounded on the coverlet. Dust climbed like smoke. Bother that dog, he croaked. I had a bet on with myself that I could keep you from snooping out the window all the time you were in here. Did you now? said Sophie, and she let go of the dog, hoping he would bite Howell hard. But the dog only went on leaning on her, shoving her toward the door now. So all that song and dance was just a game, was it? she said. I might have known. Howell lay back on his gray pillows, looking wronged and injured. Sometimes, he said reproachfully, you sound just like Megan. Sometimes, Sophie answered, 
shooing the dog out of the room in front of her. I understand how Megan got the way she is. And she shut the door on the spiders, the dust, and the garden with a loud bang.